Quarter Rest with Jody Echo is available on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, and just about anywhere else you might listen to podcasts. Our website is quarterrestpodcast.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter. The handle is at Podcast Rest or on Facebook at facebook.com slash quarterrestpodcast. If you want to get in touch, feel free to email quarterrestpodcast at gmail.com. Keep it civil and I'll probably respond. following audio presentation has been classified as humoristic, irreverent, and celebratory of the arts. Listener discretion is advised. Hello. Welcome to Quarter Rest. Today, joining me in the virtual studio is Harrison Shang. Harrison Shang is the singer and guitar player of Burlington, Vermont-based band Couch Sleepers, which is, uh, I think we would describe it as an indie rock kind of thing. Feels good to me. Today we're going to be discussing his music, his songwriting, and, well, frankly, whatever else we feel like discussing as the conversation flows. So Harrison, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. It's my pleasure. So Harrison, can you tell me about the uh, origin and history of the band Couch Sleepers? How did this band come to be? Oh man, history lesson. Uh, Let's see. I guess the the foundations of Couch Sleepers were built back when I was still at Middlebury. Um, you and I actually have a mutual friend. That's how we got connected from Middlebury, Laura Heberlin of Cricket Blue. That's Middlebury College. Middlebury College, yep. And um, we were in a fairly mediocre band together called the Giant Peach, uh, the bunch of us. And eventually it became clear, uh, two things became clear. The first was that we weren't doing a very good job of things. And we're running into all sorts of problems, like problems with the name. There's apparently this, uh, like a book, I guess, that, that shares a similar name. And James and the Giant Peach? That's the one. I was actually going to ask, was there a James in the band? There's no James. <laughs> okay, so it was not James and his and his Giant Peach band. It's it, Just it the Giant just Peach. Pure coincidence, okay. Yeah, and we were, we were sort of uh, progressing. That was all a joke, by the way. It's a little bit dry, but... I'm joking. Um, I knew about the book. And yeah, so we, we were just sort of directionless and and moving through life without a clear goal. Sometimes we would play Bach conventions at our concerts. We would cover all sorts of bands, Bob Dylan, Pine Grove, all over the place. Uh, we weren't sure if we were a folk band or a neoclassical jazz mashup. Um, so a very eclectic band. An eclectic band. So we weren't really doing a good job and we realized that we wanted to. We all really liked music and became passionate about music. And after sort of letting that stew and marinate for a while, uh, we decided to start fresh and give it a new shot um, a little bit more seriously. And that's sort of how Couch Sleepers came to be. So is the lineup pretty similar? It's pretty similar. Who's playing what instrument is different and there's been a revolving cast when it comes to couch sleepers anyways but 
yeah, it's it's the same group of people, just sort of organized differently. So, do the members of Couch Sleepers not necessarily play the same instruments at all times? Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, we have several multi instrumentalists in the band. Okay. Um, Max, for example, who formerly played guitar with us, also formerly played bass with us, now plays the drums. Um, and yeah, everybody's kind of just juggled around as as the needs are suited. But I think we found everybody's uh, relatively advantageous position now. Okay, and you are on guitar, is that right? Yeah, although that is that is probably not my relatively advantageous position. It's just more <laughs> convenient as a front man. Sure. And you're the the primary singer. Does anyone else sing? We have harmonies, but okay. um, yeah, no, there's nobody else who takes the lead for songs. Okay. Uh, were you always singing lead? Yes. Yeah. So it's uh, Couch Leapers is definitely my baby at the end of the day. Um, I'm sort of the benevolent dictator of Couch Leapers. Everybody else in the project has their own artist um, project for which they are the benevolent dictators. Our bassist and our guitarist have a band together, uh, whose album we're actually in the in the midst of producing together and recording. And Max performs under the name House Guest. He has his own project. So, yeah, we all just and then you know we all switch space uh, instruments and spaces and different bands, different songs, <laughs> same people. So it's like a it's like a constellation of benevolent dictators who all kind of pledge fealty to one another in various forms yeah a little bit of a little bit of a complicated almost medieval feudal system kind of thing going on i suppose so (laughs) uh tell me about the name where does the name come from couch sleepers is something that has been the name couch sleepers is something that's been floating around in my head since high school um i've always been a bad sleeper okay partly because my brain as soon as i lay down my brain is just a buzz with all the things that i uh want to do and could do in the future and then it's ready to do them and so i used to stay up the other part of it was that it used to be when living in my family home growing up in high school the only productive time for me creatively was um you know late at night when everybody else was asleep and it was sort of that quiet time uh and i was free to like unselfconsciously pursue my artistic visions, not with any sort of uh, any sort of honed skill, but that was sort of the process of learning it. And then around five o'clock, I would inevitably collapse on the couch, still wearing all my clothes, and wake up an hour and a half later to go to school. Um, and so, so you were the couch sleeper. I was the couch sleeper, <laughs> and oftentimes now I am as well the couch sleeper uh, when we're on the road, when we're out touring. We find ourselves sleeping on couches quite a lot. So that it all kind of wrapped up um, perfectly. Well, that's what the the name made me think of. You know, you, you know what it really reminded me of? Have you ever seen the movie Inside Lewin Davis? Yes, I have. It's a great movie. Uh, and for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's a Coen Brothers film. It's one of their more recent movies. Came out in the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years. And it's about a, a folk singer in the 1960s in that Greenwich Village scene. It's kind of based on an amalgam of different actual folk singers who were part of that scene. 
but he he's kind of a he's a very he lives a very bohemian lifestyle the the, the title character Lewin Davis lives a very bohemian lifestyle he seems to only have two things to his person he has his guitar and he has his cat which is always escaping <laughs> and he's always chasing after the cat but he's always sleeping on people's couches so the name really made me think of of this kind of artist lifestyle of uh of of of, of traveling around and and living on couches which i guess is sort of inevitable when you're touring or traveling a lot yeah certainly um hopefully our story ends a little bit more optimistically than than the winds so uh couch sleepers so are you are you the sole songwriter of this band or just the primary songwriter uh sole songwriter okay so this is really kind of a a little bit like a solo project with backing band kind of situation people are sometimes tempted to characterize it that way and it's certainly true in the explicit organization of the band that i am the one who writes the songs i front the band and our rehearsals generally look like me telling people you're going to play exactly these notes at this time and that kind of thing i'm not exaggerating also but um all of the best moments in the band really come from the collaboration the uh just having all those different minds in the room. And I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by uh, the highest caliber of musicians and songwriters so that it generally sort of elevate uh, whatever it is I bring to them. Do you want to just yeah. quickly uh, give a shout out to the other members of the band, sort of explain who does what? All right. So the other members of the band, the current rotation, uh, there are three people who have been with us from the very beginning. So Max Joshua on drums, uh, also known as House Guest. He has some great music out and more coming. He has actually a song coming out tonight at midnight, although I suppose by the time this comes out, it'll already be out. Yeah. So Max has a new song coming out called Marionette, and it's a fantastic pop rock piece. It will make you shake your booty. So it's a little bit more uh, high octane than the Couch Sleepers stuff. Hmm. I don't know about high octane. Max certainly has a pensive side to him. Okay. But it is, uh, it's it's groovy and it's certainly poppier and brighter than the Couch Sleeper stuff. So on the slide guitar we have Mike Nunziante. Um, Mike is also he's one of my best friends from college, as is Max, and he's probably I, I have a suspicion that people will say his name uh, in the same sentence as Derek Trucks and Blake Mills when they're talking about slide guitarists in the future. Sonny Landreth, all the all the greats. Um, Mike is the most fluent slide guitarist I've ever met. He's, he really sings. Um, and he mm. and our bassist, Brendan Ronan, who is himself a grizzled and folky man. He has a beard. Uh, the two of them are actually currently eating dinner in my living room right now. Okay. Uh, they have their own project, which is sort of in the middle of a name change, so I won't name it. But um, they're also really fantastic musicians. They're, they're really compassionate people and inspired to use their music to promote social change and build community. Um, cool. And yeah, they're awesome. So keep your eyes out for them. And finally, the, the last consistent member of the band, uh, who's also been with us from the very beginning is Gloria Breck currently out in California, weathering this, uh, global pandemic. I suppose that's redundant weathering the pandemic. Uh, with her family, but Gloria normally is down in Harlem, and um, she is an absolutely monstrous classical pianist and also a violinist, and we sort of 
push her between the two, whichever the song seems to need more. So she provides that. Uh, so she's just a multi-instrumentalist then. Yeah. And that's true for all of them. Uh, Brendan plays bass in our band, but is actually a really talented finger guitarist. Mike is an extremely talented uh, charango player. Charango is an Andean instrument, sort of like a ukulele. And cool. Max can seemingly play everything. It would, it would probably not be an exaggeration to say that Max is like the best at every instrument in the band. Well, that's exciting. So let's just take a moment and play. I'm gonna pl- I want to play the first song from your record and the song is called whatever i've got so let's give that a listen and when we're done with it uh we're going to discuss the song a little bit yesterday i watched the sun creep through my room i prayed that sleep would find me soon or even dreaming Spent the evening keeping all these thoughts at bay And people say It seems you know everyone here Can you imagine something lonelier than that? Trust in what I hear I clutch my fabrications near Pull them close As if the truth could give a damn About my comfort And I'll be fine In the end I know I'll be fine At the end of this I'll be fine With whatever I've got Give it to me now and hard from sinking I never let myself think all that much about it I don't doubt that things are just the way they should be but Yesterday I reached a hand out in the night Felt a shoulder pull back right as I grew near And asked myself, what have you gotten yourself into? And we'll be fine in the end I know you'll be fine at the end of this I'll be fine with whatever I've got Just give it to me now Coming to I've been thinking about leaving 
So Harrison, whatever I've got, what's going on in this song? Can you tell me about the history of this tune? I'm excited to get the chance to talk about this song because it doesn't get uh, doesn't get as much attention as some of the other songs. Whatever I've got is my uh, two houses in Fair Verona moment. Um, it it's. You might have to elaborate on that. Yeah, sorry. That was, that was maybe not a very strong illusion. A lot of Shakespeare's plays have a prelude in which he'll he'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. And that, um, not intentionally, but that is the role that this song ended up serving on uh, Only When It's Dark, the record. It sort of lays out the trajectory of the relationship as it unfolds across the... Uh, the, the entirety of the record. It's a spoiler alert. There's a, there's a, obviously a lot of romantic content in these songs. Um, it's yes. it's a really convenient lens through which to explore uh, differences between your expectations and what actually ends up happening. And um, it captures a, a period of my life that is very important to me uh, in producing me as I am now. And this song was written sort of late in that process, in that part of my life. And it is uh yeah is a realization of how things are unfolding and how they're going to unfold and that i will be okay in the end and so will you would it be fair to call this a concept album in that case or is that going too far uh it's it's certainly on the the graded spectrum of concept to collection right um it's and it's probably closer to the concept end so i think that's fair um it it's definitely united thematically um in terms of musical themes and also in terms of lyrical themes there you can trace a definite narrative through the album um there are songs that come from a certain portion of my life and they capture a lot of the experiences i had during that time the actual narrative itself is um either a really dramatic dramatic tall tale retelling of my life or completely fiction, depending on how you look at it, but it captures the emotional essence of that time. So interesting. it is. Yeah. The narrative is constructed through the songs, not through my life, I guess is what I would say. All right. It's not a rock opera like Tommy. No, but there, but there is a, a thematic and narrative through line that runs through the songs. Did you put care into ordering the songs on the album? such that the story unfolds, you know, in order. Yeah, certainly. Um, That's generally been a consistent part of my process when it comes to the bands I've been uh, a part of. But Is this something that's important to you, this idea of an album being like sort of a unified statement? Like, is this something that you appreciate in music that you listen to that you try to bring to your own music? Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, like the the album is our avenue to expressing a cogent thought as songwriters. Um, songs are like sentences. They're little ideas. But if you want to say something complex and nuanced, you have to engage with the album as an art form. Even if today we're moving away from that, um, unfortunately. 
This is something I've been talking about with, I've talked about this now with several people that I've had on the show, is this move away from albums back towards singles. What do you think about this development? From the artist's perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Um, every song gets its fair dose of attention, or mm-hmm. you know, as fair a dose as can be provided at the time. But it gets it gets exposed on its own. Yeah, and it. What's interesting about it is it would fundamentally change how you write songs, right? Like there are pieces on Absolutely. our album that are album cut songs, uh, something like Sweet Dreams or On Your Mind. Those are longer pieces or shorter pieces that serve a purpose, uh, a much greater purpose in the context of the album than they do on their own. Um, and I'm okay with that. I think it's a good thing. But mm-hmm. you can't make a, a seven minute sprawling epic your single. It's uh, about punchy and concise songwriting, something that you can sing along to uh, by the end of it. Tell that to Jim Croce. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Obviously, there are exceptions to anything. Led Zeppelin. Um, <laughs> yeah, Led Zeppelin yeah, is a really good example. But yeah, I think the album is... Um, I don't think we're going to lose it. But it is a shame that it is not as emphasized as it once was. You're saying the album is an art form. You think it's not going to go away, but it's yeah. sort of lessened in importance? Yeah, uh, currently I think the the music industry and the culture around music doesn't place as much emphasis on it, but there will always be people who have a really intense respect for that, and there will certainly be musicians who take that very seriously. So it's a shame that it's not as emphasized, but it is certainly not going away. What do you think killed the album? Oh, I don't know. Um, (laughs) Incentive structures? I guess is a suitably vague answer. Something in the in the forever changing landscape of the music industry, as streaming became introduced and as uh, as pop radio came to dominate and then fell. I don't really know. I don't know what its relationship to pop radio was, but certainly streaming has uh, led to the prevalence of the single over the album. It, it's hard to say because pop radio has always been there. Mm-hmm. Even at the height of, you know, concept albums, rock operas, like Tommy, you know, even when those things were coming out, singles were still happening. You know, people were still releasing EPs and, you know, A-sides and B-sides. And, you know, short songs were still really big on the radio. So it's not like the single ever really disappeared, but it's really come kind of roaring back to life as maybe arguably the dominant way of releasing and consuming new music especially new music yeah i would agree especially especially music from you know let's say uh artists that aren't from the top tier in terms of popularity and fame Mm -hmm. right i suspect a lot of it has to do with spotify and just kind of the way people consume music over streaming services. Yeah. So not not just Spotify, but I mean, I'm picking on them because they're, they're kind of the biggest. Yeah, I mean, they are the dominant. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, even for this podcast, I have analytics. I can tell you that's that's where people are listening to this yeah. stuff the most. That and Apple. Apple are pretty pretty hegemonic as well. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's definitely interesting to see singles coming back and and also people are listening to music on playlists a lot more mm. which are kind of kind of like the mixtapes of yore but but so easy to put together 
and so easy to share and, and, and you can share them with sort of an unlimited number of people. And to consume too. There's like the almost like the wallpaper effect of Spotify playlists. Music becomes mm. more of a backdrop than it does something you uh, devote your focus to, which is definitely a hallmark of like moving from single to album. Right. The album was like, here's my statement. Listen to me. The single is like, do your house cleaning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I grew up with albums. I mean, I grew up listening to a lot of basically music from my parents' generation. Mm. And perhaps you did as well. I think a lot of people did uh, of our you know basic age bracket. But to me, an album was always a statement. It was always something that you know you, you sit down and you listen to it and okay, maybe you skip the, the couple songs that aren't so good, the filler, especially when you start getting into music from the CD era because I really think the CD encouraged bloat. Yes. Encouraged albums that got <laughs> way too long, way too many songs, and uh, and lots of filler. Yeah. You know, you went from like an album has seven or eight songs to an album has 14 songs. Mm -hmm. And it's like not that many artists can put out 14 really good songs a year yeah. or every six months. Or even in their entire career. Or even in their <laughs> entire career. Absolutely. There are some artists I love. But I really only love like five or six songs or, or maybe even fewer than that. Yeah. And can't be bothered to sit down and listen to an entire record because they're just filled with filler. It's just the way it is. But, uh, oh, I think I had a point there. I think I just lost my point. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just it, I do think there's a bit of a correlation between that move towards singles. And also, I just I feel like music has become devalued to an extent people mm. are treating it more as background sound um you know and there are exceptions to that of course mm -hmm. uh i don't know what do you think jump in as you please <laughs> i mean I, I certainly find myself doing it as well right um yeah, just me putting too. on a playlist or an album and then wandering around something to fill the space or doing it while i'm doing work right same but yeah i don't know I still manage to find time for a little bit more serious listening. And I think that there are a lot of people who do that too. So it's, there's... yeah. And I, and I don't think that's going to totally go away. Fingers crossed. Uh, fingers crossed, <laughs> of course, but music has been with us for forever. And I don't know. I hope that there will always be at least a small core of people who enjoy listening to it more seriously, more closely. Um, I hope so selfishly because that's kind of how I prefer to consume music. Mm -hmm. And so I prefer to listen to music that is well-crafted and that actually can be listened to closely because some music <laughs> is just, you know, the more the more intently you listen to it, the more you realize like, oh, there's not really much going on here. It's kind of, you know, it's not that great. It's Okay. <laughs> How would you describe your music, like stylistically? Uh, we've traditionally called it a soundtrack for restless nights. A soundtrack for restless nights. That is that is some next level vague answer right there. <laughs> I'm joking. That's that's actually that's actually a pretty good description, I think. Um, but you know, if you had to pin it to uh, one of the, you know, <laughs> a genre. Oh. A genre or I'm a so genre. I'm so bad at putting myself in a box. Yeah. I for a, for a while there, 
we would tell people it was folk storytelling that tastes like indie rock. Um, I think I saw that on your website. Yeah, that's that phrase is floating around. Um, and I thought that was I thought that was actually pretty nice. Yeah, it feels apt. Like I, I, it, it seems apt, and also it, it's a nice little differentiator. It kind of it's a hook. That's the idea. Just exactly. all, I'm all about the sound bites. Um, <laughs> well, it was a, it was a good little talking point, so I liked it. Yeah, I've called it art pop before, or uh, art rock, something in that in that realm. But I, I'm generally pretty bad at identifying whatever genre I'm supposed to fall into. Yeah, I think art rock or indie pop probably describes it well. But uh, if you're listening right now, you have the opportunity to make up your own mind about what type of music it is. <laughs> it's true. Go do thorough research and find out for yourself. Thorough research. So on the subject of thorough research, I'd like to play another song from your record. But I'd like you to pick which song we're going to listen to. Ooh. This is interesting. We can't do whatever I've got. We've already listened to that That's one. That's true. And I don't know what your other picks are. So, okay. What song do I want you to hear? Let's go for Half the Night. Half the Night. That was actually probably the other one I was going to pick to play. <laughs> yeah, I kind of thought that it might be. It's track two on the album, Half the Night. Let's give it a listen. Turn around. 
Right, Harrison. Well, I think I think you know what I'm going to ask again. I want to know like what's going on in this song, "Half the Night." It's a it's kind of an evocative title. Yeah, I what suppose does it mean? so. "Half the Night" is the sister song to "Sleepless," uh, which is the closer of the album. Um, "Sleepless." I wrote "Sleepless" first of all the songs on the album. I wrote "Sleepless" first, and the journey of sleepless is is being hung up on somebody who is no longer in your life and then eventually uh sort of refusing to to capitulate and just resolving to to be okay with the unrequited nature of the those feelings um half the night is sort of its its dark mirror. It it is an anxious sort of late night state of mind falling through holes in your own head um while your partner sleeps sound soundly beside you. And throughout the song it gets deeper and deeper and deeper, but it's rescued by just a just a murmured a, like <laughs> a little bit of sleep talking can rescue you from that state. Um so I, I wrote it trying to explore the other side of Sleepless, I guess. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a, a torturous path towards an answer, but hopefully we got something out of that. <laughs> I think it's a good answer. And I think if we really want to appreciate that song that we just listened to, we should listen to its sister song, Sleepless. So let's do that. Okay.
left things wasn't good at all But here this empty shit recall the times we had We danced in the rain together The weather wasn't ever all that bad So when I drive these 30 miles and Um, Sleepless is actually one of those rare songs for me. A lot of my early songwriting was characterized by moments of uh, like emotional distress. I think I, I felt like the muse was in the room with me most in those moments. I was most motivated to pick up a guitar and try to just sort of vomit out my feelings. Um, mm. Whereas Sleepless, well, as as you might imagine, it was a hot, rainy summer night and I couldn't fall asleep. It was maybe two or three in the morning. And I just sat up and I had that melody in my head, the opening line, I can't sleep again. Um, and so I like 
pulled out my phone and worked on that for an hour. And then I got tired and I went to sleep. And the next morning I had half a song and I sent it to Max, the drummer, my best friend. And he was like, dude, you got to finish this song. And I was like, well, I don't know. That's, it has never happened like this before. That's all I've got. And so I had to go out and uh, trace the story, see what narrative was unfolding and find the conflict in the story and ended up telling it um, sort of backwards in that way. And that was really interesting uh, for me as a songwriter. It was, it was a novel experience and it felt like the first time I really got to like speak in full sentences as a songwriter. Um, hmm, what do you mean by that? Just like expressing an idea with intention as opposed to sort of being a slave to my uh, my subconscious emesis, <laughs> my subconscious emesis, I guess. I was exerting like top-down pressure on the song. I was seeing what was there, what the nugget of, of uh, inspiration I'd been given was, and then able to unfurl it and shape it towards something that I wanted to say, something I wanted to express. Whereas in the past, it's just been, here's a song. <laughs> here's what came out of you in the half hour that you were playing guitar. So the fact that you wrote it in two parts was significant? I suppose that was part of it. Having to sit down with something when the, like, the moment of inspiration has left you. Mm. Um, it, it taught me a little bit about technical songwriting, having that as a skill and not just a uh, form of, of self-therapy. But yeah, also for the first time sitting down and trying to examine what was happening in the story from a narrative point of view. What point of tension had I set up? What needed to be resolved? What needed to be explained? Um, and identifying how the song worked. I mean, I can't sleep again seems to imply some sort of thing. And then I had to trace that back and figure out why, basically. So there was a bit of detachment. Yeah, I suppose so. Instead of just kind of sitting down in a peak of emotion and, and writing the song all in one go. Sounds like you had you had the inspiration hit, you wrote half a tune, and then you came back to it and you said, okay, how do I finish this up? Yeah. How do I make this work? Have you have you exercised that mode or that approach to songwriting again subsequently? Is that something you've experimented with since? Um yeah, so that was something that came to play a much larger role in my songwriting from that point onward. So like half the night, which we just listened to however many minutes ago, um was itself a direct exploration of sleepless. It was my, I remember sitting there and thinking, well, I want to write a song, but I don't really, it's not coming out of me, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And so I thought, oh, and at the time I'd been exposed to some friends of ours. Uh, they had a band at the time called Monroe, the band. And in chatting with the songwriter of that group, he told me about the box method, which he learned when he was at Berkeley, um, presumably learning all the secrets of music. And the box the method... Box, the box method? Yeah. So you take a song, like a first verse, and you sum it up with a simple phrase. Like it could be, I miss you. And then the second verse might be, I wish you were here. And the third verse is, um, give me back my black t-shirt. Or something like that, you know? You, you get the, the idea in broad strokes. And then you go in and you write your own interpretation of that. You give it a different interpretation. 
And so that sort of inspired me to say, oh, well, I wrote this song, Sleepless, and now let me take it and see if I can twist it and write the opposite song, something that works the other way. Is this a songwriter technique? Is this something like people in the biz use? Apparently so. It's, uh, I think it's from a book called Writing Better Lyrics or something like that. Um, it's on my bookshelf somewhere. I don't know who wrote it, nor have I actually read it, but I own it. But it's there. Yeah, <laughs> in case I ever need it. When you write songs, do the lyrics tend to come first? For the good ones, they come together the lyrics and the melody come together. Um, Sometimes there is a process of knowing what you want to say and just sort of like trying to find the right syllables. Um, Sure. You know, just how to fit the idea into the meter. Yeah. Like, like doing baby jargon until you find the right sounds and then trying to fit the right words and content over those sounds. And sometimes you need to yield to that process. I, I find that in general, the more that you try to like really push your will onto a song, the less good it gets in a mm. sort of exponential uh, fashion. Mm-hmm. But if you can be flexible and let the song guide you while also guiding it a little bit yourself, um, like if you if you can give and take with that process, then you can often end up with something that feels complete and feels intentional and is also somehow maintains the spirit and the emotional truth of whatever the little nugget that you got at the beginning was. At least that's how I understand it right now. I'm (laughs) very much still hopefully in the middle of my journey as a songwriter. That's cool. Oh, we've talked about the lyrics a bit. How do you go about, and and this is again, like a songwriting approach question how do you go about writing the music side of things i I assume a lot of your songs start out as sort of a solo guitar and voice kind of kind of rough version sort of rough draft and then the arrangement comes afterward or do you ever have the arrangement in mind as you're writing a song uh definitely the arrangement is always occupying some some part of my mind as i'm writing um, structure is so important, you know, having a framework with in to work. Just, I know for, I know for some, some bands or some ensembles or musicians, you know, the arrangement is really an integral part of, of the song and like what each instrument is doing is sometimes it is the most important thing. In fact, like, you know, we could list pop artists, uh, or musicians of all kinds, but even pop artists for whom the the lyrics are an afterthought and and the vocals are just another instrument and you know they just kind of pick syllables that sound good as you were sort of saying baby jargon but but some musicians never take it beyond that point because they don't really care or because they don't necessarily want to say anything through the words they just want to communicate sound and rhythm and 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 uh, prosody and whatever um I, I assume that's not the case for you, but but like at what point does the song go from being something that is very small, kind of chords and a melody and lyrics to something? For uh, I don't know that there is ever a I'm not particularly talented on any of my one instruments um, or any any of the instruments that I that I'm uh, somewhat comfortable on. 
And I think that uh, something that has arisen from that, a consequence of that, has been the fact that I, I tend to think in terms of the band. Um, you know, given that I can't actually speak in complete sentences on my instruments, I'm forced to use the band as a way of articulating my full idea. And so it's always, um, it's always a factor in my songwriting from the, from the get-go. I think a part of this is that I started on the piano, which is a very orchestral instrument. Um, not in that it's literally part of the orchestra, but in the, in the piano, you have access to melody, rhythm, and harmony all at the same time. And you can... It's often described as, a, as an orchestral instrument in that you can, you can make very, very full music with all 10 fingers. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I, part of that, a lot of my early ed- music education was distilling band music into piano arrangements so that I could play it, like trying to grok Green Day on my, uh, on my piano. And by the same token, I'm always hearing the band in my head when I'm writing. Um, hopefully that comes through when you get to hear some of my songs tonight, <laughs> just me and the guitar. But we'll see. So you are thinking about the arrangement from early on? Yes, certainly. And does the other, do the other band members participate in the arrangement? Like, do you write bass lines for the bass player? Yes. Yeah, and I... Um program out the drum parts although i lack the actual coordination to ever play anything resembling drums um yeah and then well sometimes it's much more impressionistic i don't mean to paint the picture that there's no uh creative leeway for the members of the band here because really that is where all the magic happens um but yeah there, there will be certain times where i say this is exactly the chord voicing that i want like this is what how we need to voice the harmony there are other times where it's you know, Mike, I want you to take an absolutely ripping guitar solo, like come in hot and then just get hotter or like, let's bring it all the way down and then we're going to build it up slowly again, that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it is conversational with the band, but generally the, the broad forms are there, but we hash out all the important details. And is that a satisfying process for the, for the band as a whole? I think so. I hope so. <laughs> no one has issued a, a uh, complaint. It helps that we're all the uh, the arbiters of our own projects. Right. So they all get to be concert master in their own projects. And yes. So certainly. Everyone's satisfied and happy to be doing what they're doing. Are there any tunes from this album that you'd like to play for us tonight? Yeah. I was thinking I'd give In My Head a shot. Sleeping with your rings on in my old faded thin 
just wanted to feel close to you. But it's all I ever need. So, don't This is getting out of hand. It's been six months now without you. But I still feel like a man. So I'll toss and I'll turn. And I'll take what I can get. See you soon. I'll see you sooner in my talk about this song a little bit it's funny that there's a uh they're all from the same project you know i feel like they hit on a lot of the same ideas in my head is a story of um it's a story that unfolds entirely in my head it's it's all dreaming for a while there i was just haunted by a repeated dream you know something that's always out of your out of your grasp but you want it and so sometimes it's easier to uh to just live with the dream you know to make that your world which is obviously not like a healthy i'm not recommending that to anybody as an approach but it is a tempting fate sometimes uh, it's a similar contrition to uh that at the end of sleepless uh, just deciding that that's what you want for yourself would you care to elaborate on the the nature of this dream Oh, it's it's actually exactly as is described in uh, in the song. I was waiting by a balcony when I saw somebody from my past go walking by. I, we met, we locked eyes uh, for a moment. It looked as though something softened in her face, and then she passed under the balcony and she was gone. That's a nice image. Yeah, maybe nice isn't the right word. <laughs> There's something wistful about it. Yeah, it's very evocative. All right, so you're going to be playing some uh, some new material for us, aren't you? That's the plan. Something to shake your booty to. I wish I was strong enough to call you. Tell me how this ends 
I could talk to you for hours And I hear a single thing you said Baby, I just need to hear you miss me Even if it brings me down I need all the worst things I can get Just like me, only taller in the skin. Baby, I just need to see your face drop when you spot me in the crowd. I need all the worst things I can get. next tune you guys are going to be releasing yep all right actually assume uh, actually laura heberlin of cricket blue who i know you guys have had on this podcast she sings harmonies on that okay yeah yeah Yeah, actually i remember her um saying that she was communicating with you about music stuff so i assumed there was some collaboration taking place yeah it's a real honor she's uh she has like my my favorite voice in the whole world so i'm really excited to actually have her um contributing to to our music she's a very good singer also a very talented songwriter in her own right and i'm a big fan of cricket blue which is why i had them on this show yeah so yeah that's a cool (laughs) collaboration i'm very excited about it was she involved at all in the writing of the song no i came to her afterwards actually we um laura and i are friends we have a a general ongoing dialogue about songwriting and it occurred to me i was like oh my god i should totally have laura sing on this and so i asked her and she sort of went out of her way to um, get her hands on proper recording equipment so that she could do it and it sounds amazing um to my ears so i can't wait i know she's going to elevate us um so i'm really excited to share it with everybody when the time comes who knows when it'll be Excellent. Um, have the, has the band recorded the song yet, or is that yep something you need to? Okay. Yeah, we have a lot. Every, we have a lot waiting in the wings, actually. 
That's a good way to be. Yeah. That's kind of my approach with this podcast. I have a lot of stuff recorded, but not edited yet <laughs> and not released yet. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to be. You get a little buffer going on. So if ever there's, if ever life gets in the way, you got stuff to fall back on. I totally well, I'm very, I'm very excited to hear that song uh, with Laura's vocals over top. I think that's, did she, was she involved in writing the harmonies? Yeah, I think uh, to some degree I, I told her what I wanted, like gave her a general idea and then just let her do her own thing. Um, and of course, you know, she nailed it. What kind of harmonies should we expect? Uh, yeah. Like, like what kind of instructions did you give her? I'm just curious. I told her that I like the standard kind of poppy thirds kind of thing. Okay. You know, thirds and fourths. Sure. Um, pentatonic, I guess, is what you'd really call that. And yeah. I also asked her to do unison. And I surprised myself by liking the unison pass more. So there's actually a little bit of unison in there as well. Okay. Not even doubled at the octave? Doubled up the octave, yeah. Okay. I can't sing that high. And I guess you can't sing that low. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't put it past Laura. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. What about, what about unison? What about that attracted you for this song? Hmm. I also like the sound of people singing in octaves. It can be, it can be a, a different color than you get from, from a proper harmony. Yeah. I don't know what it was that called to me. I knew that Laura could do it. I knew that like if I asked Laura to sing unison, it would be wonderful. Like I knew she she has really uh, fine grained control over her vocal nuance, and I felt like she could match my delivery in such a mm. way that it would come out. I would not do it the other way around, for example. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I think I was just sort of inspired by the fact that it was a possibility, whereas I don't, I don't normally consider it to be one necessarily. So basically you figured that you had a talented singer and you might as well try something that would be technically difficult. That's exactly it. <laughs> Seize the opportunity while you have it. All right, well, moving on. Uh, Arison, I have a confession to make. I did something creepy. Oh no. Which is which is before doing this interview, I looked you up on Facebook. Oh, and so okay. I know yeah, not that creepy, but you know, people always <laughs> I mean, who who knows what was about to happen there. <laughs> yeah, I I I I'm sorry if I if I struck terror in your heart there for a moment. Nothing more sinister than that. Um <laughs> so I actually was aware of the fact that you are a neuroscience PhD student. And I wanted to, to talk to you a little bit about that because I, I just think that's interesting. Yeah, that's I think it's cool when somebody <laughs> excels in two or more areas of life and, and does cool things in different fields or domains. So how did you get into neuroscience? Uh, sort of aimlessly. Oh, yeah. A, okay. a lot of, a lot of my, my life is best characterized by sort of aimlessly wandering around, actually. Um I was in college at Middlebury, and I, I don't really think of it as the neuroscience capital of the academic world. You'd be but surprised, maybe it actually. It's a, it's a burgeoning field at many colleges, uh, mm. but the faculty at Middlebury are certainly top notch. They're not necessarily 
the people who pursued scientific research as their primary focus, uh, they tend to be the people who pursued teaching as a um, as a primary focus, and they are truly the best um, in that regard. And also, you know, really, really good researchers. I think like the ability to teach something requires a really strong understanding of the big picture, and that generally makes somebody who can ask a good question too. Um, and so I had the naive sense that I needed a practical um, degree. In my mind huh. at the time, practical. So, you know, something in the sciences, considered pre-med, didn't do it. Um, mostly just sort of followed my interest there. And I found this one professor, uh, Professor Michael Dash, who I just thought was was so brilliant and charming and like completely compelling. And to this day is the smartest person I've ever met. Um, and so I took all of his classes. And at the end of that, I became a neuroscientist, I guess. <laughs> So you had just taken enough courses that you kind of fell backward into a neuroscience degree? Yeah, essentially. What is neuroscience? I think a lot of people listening won't necessarily know. I mean, they have a sense that it has to do with the brain. Mm-hmm. But what, what differentiates neuroscience from, say, psychology? Um, depending on where you are and depending on who you ask, you'll get very different answers. There's a lot of psychology that overlaps uh, quite fluidly with neuroscience. In general, okay. neuroscience has more of a focus on the, uh, the biological substrates that underlie the mind. So we're very interested in the physical, the hardware, so to speak. Yeah. Um, the hardware of the brain. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of neuroscientists and proper reductionists would argue that the software can also be discovered through uh, looking at the hardware, perhaps. Um, Do you think that's the case? Do I think that's the case? Yes. I think, however, that that doesn't mean that the software is like a meaningless level. Like obviously you can make interventions at various levels, um, conceptual levels, and that intervening at the level of psychology is uh, in many cases more powerful to the very concept-based human mind you know we have a tendency to think in concepts so it makes sense to deal with concepts um otherwise we'd all just be doing quantum physics i suppose (laughs) or sudoku yeah just really pro level sudoku and and uh and polynomials and stuff yeah um Are you fascinated by the mind? Have you always been fascinated by the mind? I would say yes. Um, I'm more and more fascinated by, yeah, how we think and like the processes that guide human thinking, okay. uh, which is actually a little bit more psychological. But the, I suppose this is less of an academic interest and more of a um, an interest in my downtime. You know, what leads us to, have beliefs, to hold certain beliefs over others and like, how do we make, how do we form beliefs? That's, that's a really interesting question to me. And one that I think has, um, like particular relevance to discussions that we're having on a national level, policy, like all sorts of things. And also how we conduct ourselves in our everyday lives, you know? Absolutely. So, yeah, I think belief, 
belief is extremely important and certainly has political and personal ramifications. Yeah. Um, so you're a PhD student. Do you have a thesis in the works? Are you at that point in your academic uh, journey? Things have been slowed down a bit by the pandemic, but I am in the process of writing my proposal um, and gathering data that will serve as the preliminary uh, findings to propel me towards a successful proposal, hopefully. So it's coming together. A, what, would you care to, to share a little bit of, of what you're focusing on? <laughs> I'm going to hold my cards close to my chest on this one. No problem. No problem. It's but a, I'm sure uh, it's, you know, it's an evolving project, so we'll see. I don't, <laughs> don't want to possibly Im- implicate myself in something that I'll later swerve on is there an is there a sort of area or sub focus though that you have dedicated yourself to or that you're particularly drawn to i feel like i've kind of already asked that but yeah well in the past when i was at middlebury i was a sleep scientist i studied okay the function of sleep why do we need to sleep and as you know and as anybody who's listened to my record knows sleep is is pretty salient uh, in my personal life as well. I'm not very good at getting it. And um, it's sort of a preoccupation of mine as a songwriter. And it was also a preoccupation of Even in the name of your of band. Mine. Yes. <laughs> and it is also a preoccupation of mine as a neuroscientist. Um, but uh, since I've come to UVM, I ended up in a different lab. I now study uh, bladder physiology. Uh, so urination. I spend my day mostly getting peed on or watching animals pee. Um, it's not sexy. <laughs> it's not, well, it's not like father, studying I, cancer, you know. As a father, I spend my day pretty similarly, actually. That's true. And you probably don't even get paid. <laughs> no. Nobody pays me. Yeah. I get uh, paid in love. Yeah. That is a much higher form of payment, I would argue. But... Uh, yeah, so I ended up, I was lucky to end up in a, a lab with a really, really fantastic mentor. And that was what drew me to this lab. I knew that I was getting a top-notch scientific education with uh, Margaret Vizard, my my boss, essentially, I guess, my advisor. Excellent. How has, or let me rephrase, has your study of neuroscience impacted your songwriting at all Hmm. or do you just sort of or do you like to keep these these parts of yourself separated it hasn't had an explicit impact on the content of my songwriting but i think that there is a general trend in my personal conduct that underlies both my my interest as a neuroscientist and also asserts itself in um, in my songwriting. I have a tendency to take myself too seriously, I guess, or like to uh, reduce to the point of absurdity. I'm always trying to trace the path of cause and effect like farther than I need to. Um, and I'm trying to let myself be looser in my songwriting, to be more metaphorical and to be less causal and less 
uh, explicitly narrative. It's an ongoing journey. It's not one that I necessarily want to give myself into fully because I think that uh, narrative is really important and sort of underemphasized in music today in a lot of cases, but uh, it is a realm of my uh, a place where I can certainly stand to grow as a songwriter. I mean, it, it feels kind of weird to be talking about the COVID situation passing because it's actually getting worse again in a lot of parts of the country. Um, I'm in Canada and things are things are not too bad here. But I know in parts of the U.S., uh, was it yesterday that was like the biggest single day increase of cases since the beginning of the pandemic? So that's 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 concerning. But um, assuming that we get to a point where there's a you know a vaccine or a foolproof treatment, and assuming that it's possible to deploy it widely enough that we get that kind of herd immunity. How do you see things going for the band as things properly start reopening and people start going out to music shows again? In in any case, we are going to be just pursuing it wholeheartedly. You know, we will adapt to whatever situation we're faced with, faced with because we just love it. So we're going to keep making music and we're going to play our little hearts out for as many people as we can and try to live a uh, more connected lifestyle with the community we built around the band however however it is we have to um, so yeah that's the goal to just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it I think that's a good attitude to have it's a stubborn attitude <laughs> Harrison Shong thank you so much for joining me thank you so much for having me Joe it's been a pleasure pleasure's been all mine so don't you think this is getting out of hand It's been six months now without you But I still feel like So I'll toss and I'll turn And I'll take what I can get I'll see you soon, babe I'll see you sooner in my head tonight I hope we'll be together Cause I'm always looking back and there's a thousand different reasons And that's fucked up and I know that I don't care if it's the right thing I just always want you back So don't you think This is getting out of hand It's been six months now without you But I still feel like you're and I'll turn And I'll take what I can get I'll see you soon, babe I'll see you sooner in my head tonight